All right, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat Podcast today with Jason Moore. Hi, Jason. How's it going? Hey, Jonathan. It's great. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, um, you are an interesting person who's building something very interesting. Um, as all you know, as as every every uh, guest that we have on the show, obviously. Um, but um, I'm happy that 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 you're on. I already told you before I pressed record, because uh, because you you are indeed building something uh, really interesting. And I think the story to it is 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 even more interesting because uh, oftentimes you know with the people that we or the founders that we have on the show, it's like you know straight from the get go kind of like first day venture funding etc. And, and not a lot of um you know bootstrap stories uh, sort to say. So I'm super excited to have you on. And um you know kind of as an icebreaker question that we always have, uh, and I guess also the easiest question for you to answer is is really like uh, who's Jason, right? Um take take your time. And then kind of like guide us through, you know, um, through the different stages in your professional life and and how how did you end up where you are today? Well, thank, I want to say first, thanks for uh, adding that little phrase in there, take your time, because um, one of the things I've had to learn uh, throughout this entrepreneurial part of my life journey is moments when it's important to take your time and moments when it's important to hurry up and how to balance those things and um the me bringing that up maybe gives you a little bit of a flavor for who i am as well because uh i'm kind of a type of person that likes to deconstruct everything that i do and figure out how can i do it better um and why am i doing this or why would somebody do this i'm really fascinated by human behavior um, and uh, psychophysiology and psychology and how the mind and the body work together. And um, it can even get deep into like, uh, you know, meaning of life and all that type of stuff too. But, um, you know, I tend to take a really practical approach to things. And if I find that something's not very practical to me, then I tend to not, I wouldn't say become disinterested in it. I just... Um, tend to like try to figure out is there a way this relates back to you know something practical right uh maybe now or down the road or, or not at all but um anyway so um i can be kind of an in your head type person i can get a little bit too intellectual sometimes about certain subjects and people around me like my family friends and coworkers, can sometimes roll their eyes when i get going on a subject but um, I think it's part of what makes me, me. And, um, but at the, at the end of the day, the other side of it too, though, is I find a lot of fulfillment in solving hard problems. I've just always from a young age been interested in that, which I feel really grateful that whatever combination of genetics and the environment and my nurturing, uh, made me interested in doing that. Um, and then I really, really have learned over the years that I just love people. And I went through this interesting evolution um, where, especially as like a teenager and like in my early 20s, where I was like, I don't like people. <laughs> and uh, like, I still had friends and still like friends and like, you know, my family and stuff. But um, I've got, uh, as you age, you kind of realize, and I'm not saying I'm like this super experienced person um, on this subject, but I'm starting to realize it's a little more nuanced in that um, 
I'm not the type of person that likes to like go to a bar and talk to a bunch of strangers, for example. I like going to a bar with friends or like family or somebody, or if I happen to meet a stranger that's willing to go deep quickly on a conversation. Um, but so from a people perspective, like being in a large group of strangers and doing small talk is like not my favorite activity. <laughs> um, but then when I'm, but I've realized that that doesn't mean I don't like people. Uh, it just means that I really like going deep and I really like unpacking like why people do the things they do, what's important to people, uh, how those things connect back to bigger pictures of society and economics and um, all that type of th stuff. And so uh, I, I'm sure you weren't expecting this uh, answer, but um, coming back full circle to the business, one of my favorite things about business is that it kind of just creates these artificial pressures mm -hmm. on groups of people like competition or like deadlines or um, some, you know, investor expectations or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really brings out people's true humanity when you put a little bit of pressure on them, myself included. And so it's been fun to grow a business um, from being, you know, one of the first two co-founders to, um, you know, a, a growing team and growing expectations and bigger numbers and stuff to add a little pressure over the years and see what comes out of that. <laughs> you know, what's funny. You started off, you started the answer off with saying, you know, I, I can, I can get a uh, little, you know, um, quite deep uh, intellectually into into certain topics and some of your friends and family you know uh, might might um you know kind of um you know find that funny or so but the the, the thing is that you know your entire answer basically reflected the way you started the answer <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> so you know but um uh, let, let, let's go then again you know a little bit more into detail so what i find exciting is when people um really um find the thing that they want to do and i think i think because the question seems so easy but i think it's very and again you can get quite philosophical about it and and i think it's it's uh, it's it's a really deep question is like okay what do you really want to do what do you really want to you know kind of spend your time on uh and and i and and i think with you that that you know is, is the case um because or i mean i don't i don't know you um at all right but i it's from what I've seen um, in, in building the company for such a long time, uh, I think it takes it takes a lot of dedication and also kind of like hard to, to do that. And um, especially, um, you know, in the early days when, you know, um, success is not is not um, is not is not that clear. Right. Mm -hmm. And so t talk me through because, you know, I have this really high passion about sport. Right. And, 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 and fitness and everything. But not everybody can, you know, make their passion a living. Obviously, right? It's 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 mm -hmm. quite quite difficult. So walk me through um, the early days of really like getting into starting the company, right? And then and then this differentiation between like, okay, I really like this area, right? I I like, for example, this vertical or whatever business lingo you want to use in order to describe it, right? But I'm all I I I just beyond just you know. Uh, loving to spend the time doing things in that area right i also am going to be starting a business 
that makes sense economically, right? And that puts different types of pressures, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting, like, to, to go back to the beginning and unpack some of that because it's changed so much over the years. And, um, you know, now our business, you know, primarily people can find it under the name Spren, S-P-R-E-N, mm-hmm. um, Spren.com. Um, and we have solutions to help people monitor a ton of different stuff about their body um, so that they can make better decisions for health, fitness, and wellness. And we make it easy to connect into other apps and products and a lot of B2B partnerships and stuff. And that was not at all how we started. Hmm. (laughs) And so, um, you know, it's depending on how far back you want to go. When I got my first real job, um, when I was a teenager, uh, I put on my resume that I was adaptable and I knew how to cut grass. (laughs) And that was basically it. And so, um, and then I went and got, you know, a job like cleaning a kitchen at a bagel shop and then at a smoothie shop and then kind of like kept going from there. Um, and but anyways, fast forward um, a number of years to the kind of more relevant part of this story. Uh, we started as Elite HRV. Mm-hmm. And so um, if people have heard of heart rate variability, that's what HRV is. We can talk more about that. Um, but Um, basically I was working in the oil and gas industry. I was building software for data analytics to help people make better decisions about the health and performance of equipment out in the oil field. And so using data and dashboards and visualizations and stuff, um, also helping the company go mobile, um, from what was kind of previously more desktop only experience and, um, that's what I was doing during the day. And in nights and weekends, I was a health and fitness coach. So mm-hmm. I helped some partners open a gym. Um, and I thought at one point I might open my own gym. Mm-hmm. And uh, the type of person that I am as well, kind of like at the beginning of this podcast, we said is I like to go deep. So uh, as I was uh, getting into my 20s, I was realizing that it was becoming harder and harder for me to um, stay fit and compete. I was also competitive in sports growing up. Mm-hmm. And then it just got harder and harder for me to kind of stay competitive. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out why. And um, and then also uh, big health issues are really close to me and my family. So mm-hmm. cancer, diabetes, heart disease, um, uh, all sorts of autoimmune conditions and chronic health conditions are all really close to me and my family. And so I just was starting to get all these signals like, hey, health and fitness is not easy. <laughs> and uh, and But it's really important because I was already starting to see like my coworkers in the oil industry working really hard um, in their careers and mm-hmm. being and being pretty successful financially by a lot of measures, mm-hmm. but then retiring and spending all their money on their health, basically, yeah. right? And not having good health and not being able to, you know, go do the things that they wanted to do. And so I just feel really lucky that all these signals came to me like relatively early in my own journey, like in my 20s. And um, long story short, I was researching these topics really deeply and networking with people who are doing really cool things in this space. 
and um, came across this research on heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. So HRV um, is this really cool biomarker that you can measure about yourself that tells you a ton about um, whether your health and fitness is moving in a positive direction or a negative direction. Mm -hmm. It gives you a window into your nervous system and we can get into all these topics if you want, but I wasn't born like interested in HRV. Um, I was basically uh, going deep into research and people who are doing kind of alternative practices in health and fitness mm -hmm. because to see where people were getting better results than what you would normally expect in the mainstream markets. And then uh, also trying to figure out things that we could measure and make the whole process easier. Um, because again, I had this experience in my tech background in the oil and gas industry and data just makes sense to me. Like, um, when you can get feedback in the form of hard data, um, and it can help inform decision-making or other things that just makes a lot of sense to me. And so, uh, yeah, that's what led me to, uh, HRV and then, um, long story, not so short, <laughs> is, uh, decided to merge my tech background with my, uh, budding passion of, helping it, people have an easier journey with their mm -hmm. health, fitness, and wellness journey and uh, launched a company called Elite HRV, which started out basically as a way to measure HRV. Mm -hmm. And uh, our early adopters were other people who were already looking for HRV data mm -hmm. and just were looking for um, cheaper, more accessible ways to get high quality um, readings because it's very garbage in, garbage out um, type metric. And then that ended up snowballing quickly um, into a, a viable business that then grew and evolved. And there was a bunch of uh, twists and turns and uh, winding uh, path, but we were able to bootstrap to profitability and uh, pretty substantial early revenue um, just by helping people and iterating and building. Yeah. And then, and then in 2020, we kind of became a startup when we raised our first round of venture. <laughs> I like that wording. We became a startup. <laughs> now, yeah. um, guide me through through the process and also kind of the, you know, different stages in the maturity and maybe also the changes in the business, um, you know, prior to raising funding. In a sense, you said like, okay, we turned, you know, uh, profitable, we, we built a, you know, working business. Um, how would you describe kind of like these years, you know, before, before you know raising funding and then we'll go we'll go into more detail obviously of like you know why you decided to raise funding and you know how how things are basically moved into this direction but how were kind of like the first years of fundraising and in terms of you know making you know making money growing a team you know growing a product etc like you know tell 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 me more about that yeah, so I definitely would have done things differently if I knew what I knew today. Um, but it was a really important learning journey. And I actually, in retrospect, am glad that we didn't raise money earlier because I would have probably wasted other people's money, um, <laughs> basically. And it was better that we were kind of doing it on our own dime and learning. Now, that being said, of course, now that I know what I do know after those years of kind of learning and iteration and having great mentors now and stuff, we could have done things a lot faster and gone a lot further if we had raised money earlier. But 
not if I didn't know what I already, you know, know now. So that's just a little bit of a background context for in the beginning, I didn't actually know really what it was, what a startup was or what a tech business was supposed to do or any of this stuff. So it was basically, I had a friend um, who was my roommate from college. And then later he and I lived together when we were working in the um, oil industry. And then he moved on to do other things, but he was a computer science guy. So he and I together built the first version of Elite HRV. And he was the um, kind of wizard on the engineering side. And I was doing most of the research on like the physiology and uh, user experience type stuff. And basically we just built an app, put it out there together and um, uh, put a place for people to talk to us. Uh, so mm-hmm. the users, and we just started listening basically. And so I spent in those first few years, I talk, I personally talked to over 15,000 users of the app. And so um, that learning from those users was, I believe, a big differentiator for us mm-hmm. in how we were able, like, we were just this like tiny operation with no funding. Yeah, we were, we were able to grow pretty significantly and get a lot of uh, traction for such a small operation and really beat out competition. And competition, you know, I'm, I don't know if, what I'm supposed to say um, from like a a CEO competitor point of view. I'm I'm not an extremely competitive person unless um, I'm in a game where that's the point. Like yeah. you know, like sports. But in the space that we operate in, there's such a positive sum opportunity mm-hmm. for a rising tide to raise all boats that I don't think of competition as like we need to step on them to get to the next phase or something. But I do feel like we got a really big advantage on the competition over the years by, uh, you know, me and my co-founders spending tons of time just listening to users mm-hmm. and trying to map that to some viable product strategy. And I didn't even know I didn't call it product strategy back then. Mm. It was just like build stuff that we <laughs> that that we thought users would like. And we built a lot of stuff that was total waste of time. And right, right. Um, one behind the scenes view of this story is that I feel also grateful that somehow over the years, I, I managed to cultivate like pretty frugal financial habits. Okay. And so from a personal finance point of view, me and my family, we uh, were able to save quite a bit in the years prior to founding this company. Mm-hmm. And that, that gave us a nice um, cushion where we could make tons of mistakes and not fail. Right. And so because it was mostly just the co-founders time and we, any, any revenue that we generated early actually just got reinvested into um, like contract development yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that. So we weren't taking any money out of the business at all. And that allowed us to like fail and iterate and learn and do stupid things and do really great things and uh, land on something that worked. And so that's kind of a behind the scenes view, but ultimately we kind of eventually emerged with this mission of, we really want to make meaningful and accurate feedback from the body in the form of like biomarker data or other types of data, more accessible to more people. (laughs) And because it's um, a lot of uh, high tech uh, solutions in health, fitness, and wellness are, um, 
inaccessible to a lot of people. What either the data is too complicated or it takes too much effort or it's too expensive or things like that. And we were really passionately pursuing this uh, part of the story where it was like, let's make this cheaper. Let's make it easier. Let's make it take less effort, you know, that makes it more and more useful to more people. And that was kind of became a backbone uh, mission for us as we continued to grow and iterate. And then that also helped us. I mean, we weren't as formal about that in the early days, but it emerged over time. We ended up creating courses. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have a digital course called the HRV course that um, people can buy online. It's an educational resource about heart rate variability. That was our first major revenue generator. Um, and the app that was our main um, product was and still is completely free today. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then later we ended up developing our own hardware, uh, which we were actually able to bootstrap and use some creative financing, uh, like a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign mm -hmm. and some personal, personal loans that mm -hmm. um, my wife and I uh, took out to help launch our hardware. And uh, that was basically a response to demand from our customers that were using chest straps before. Mm -hmm. And they were like, hey, we love the data and the insights you're giving, but we do, I just don't really like putting this chest strap on in the morning when I wake up. Right. And so uh, we ended up creating our own hardware uh, to serve that. And, and that was a big boost in our revenue and in our traction and in our credibility as a company. Um, and that was when our uh, more recent co-founder, along the way, there was a shift in the co-founder. So my my original co-founder actually moved on after the first, um, I think, year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, my wife, Alyssa, who's a brilliant engineer and just brilliant business leader, actually joined and replaced my original co-founder. And then she and I carried the torch uh, and a couple of others joined the team. And then um, our third co-founder, or I guess fourth in that order, but third that's still with us is Vivek who uh, he came off of an exit uh, from a $2 billion exit from a med tech startup mm -hmm. and, um, and joined the team in 2017. That was around when we were starting to figure out how we actually wanted to grow the business side of, of this story. Mm -hmm. And that, that was when we started really kind of treating it like, okay, this is a business that we want to grow and um, started getting bolder with our vision and then in 2020, like I said, is when we really leaned in on the startup concept. Yeah, interesting. So you know, it, it, there's like a lot of twists and turns here, and 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 <laughs> like also, uh, and also uh, very interesting. You know, uh, I think building an app is like already, you know, building an app that people use is already a hard thing, right? But then like also adding hardware to it, you know, hardware that uh, works, and then you know that people also buy. Uh, as also as a business model is, is 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 also quite challenging so it's really really interesting that you know that 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 was the journey that you guys kind of um you know were going through so you know let's maybe then um start with 2020 of like okay um you know kind of taking the decision of like hey uh, we want to take on growth capital because we have a bigger vision um you know, of, of really building a, a company that can, you know, and now speaking from a venture capital standpoint, obviously, you know, can be a billion dollar company. So, um, you know, 
to guide me through that. Yeah. And, you know, basically we were profitable at the time. There was no need to raise money from like a survival point of view, um, at least not in the short term back then. And, but one thing that was becoming really clear was this two things. One is we passionately wanted to serve everyone. We wanted to reach as many people as possible. Um, we really believe in the value that we're creating for people and we wanted to take it big. And two is um, the other side of that coin is uh, we are ambitious people and we like doing hard things and getting large rewards uh, for doing those hard things. And so um, that kind of really led us down the path of a venture back startup. Um, it kind of aligned incentives uh, for us in what we were already feeling as co-founders were our passions. But um, one kind of, I would say it was a side effect we didn't anticipate, but I think ultimately ended up being like a really big contributor to our continued pursuit of venture capital Yeah, uh, is the learning that takes place when you raise venture capital. Mm -hmm. And so if you do have this really big vision of trying to change the world in a, in a way that lots of people will get impacted and there's large rewards, um, it, I would say if you're a first-time founder, if you don't have a ton of deep business experience like me, that raising money was one of the most educational processes that I went through. And mm -hmm. it was really hard at times, but it was really, really insightful. And it mm -hmm. changed our trajectory quite a bit, just, mm -hmm. just, just going through fundraising. Of course, the money itself helps too, but um, learning from like hundreds literally hundreds of really yeah, smart yeah, yeah, yeah. people who have uh, dealt with lots of different businesses and uh, large sums of money giving free advice basically um, on our company was super uh, educational and um, worth it money aside so yeah, but anyways yeah. we also wanted to take in order to go to the next level we wanted to take some risks as well yeah. some some calculated risks um not just to take risk but um our hardware as uh, we were very proud of our hardware that we created uh, like you're saying it's hard to bring hardware to the market and we sold tens of thousands of them in 80 and more than 80 countries um all over the world and got messages from people about how we changed their lives and things like that and we're mm -hmm. we're very proud of that but we also realized that our hardware was sort of um, preventing us from reaching more people. Mm -hmm. And so we're not against hardware where we actually integrate with lots of different types of wearables and devices and stuff, but we wanted to kind of um, take the next step without it. Um, and that would be killing our main revenue stream. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, in order to do that, we wanted to bring in some capital and uh, make that investment so that we could do it faster mm -hmm. instead of extending the timelines out. So this is the other start of the uh, part of the story is as our vision got bigger, so did the competitive landscape for us. Exactly. And, and so basically um, we started... Uh, realizing that we were ultimately going to be competing with some of the largest companies in the world um, because this space of health, fitness, and wellness is just so important to all of humanity, basically, that um, that's why there's you know literally trillions of dollars flowing in it. 
and so many big players interested in um, solving pieces of the puzzle. So we realized that to go at the pace that we were going at, we would end up having to, to go a lot more narrow um, on our vision. And we wanted to continue to go big with our vision. Um, and it takes steps. So I don't want to paint like a, like we didn't just raise money and all of a sudden like try to solve every problem everywhere, but it was just the rate at which we were growing and iterating uh, we could increase. So anyways, yeah, that was some, some background on why let, we chose that. Let's talk about that narrowing down. Right. So I, I think it's a very important point that you mentioned, right? So it's a, it's a huge space. There's a lot of players, especially, you know, past uh, 24 um, months, you know, things have accelerated um, crazy. So um, there, there's been so many companies kind of so much venture funding that has blown into into the space and you know so many new players kind of enter and entered the market um again but on the um on the side of things of really what you know what where you're coming from you know taking data and you know giving insight to that data right making sense of that um in a health context it's, it's quite difficult right quite challenging and i think there's huge differentiation differentiation that we need to make between you know wellness right and uh, not no health claims right and health claims and um so let, let's talk about this narrowing down and, and the product product vision you know <laughs> um which which obviously is the word that we need to use here um uh, that you guys kind of like chose to to tackle right um th that that still is big enough in order to you know to to um give reason to basically taking on um venture capital right yeah yeah it's so you know, there's several layers to this. Yeah. And, um, like I was saying about my resume when I was a teenager, uh, we like to stay adaptable and, yeah. um, kind of learn what the market's doing and adapt over time. But, um, one thing that became pretty clear to us is that, um, our insights that we generate like around HRV and body fat analysis, body composition is a big focus right now for us. Um, uh, which which we didn't talk about, but there's been an evolution in like the types of insights we provide. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, but one thing that has become clear is that um, for us, it makes a lot of sense to partner with a, a lot of other businesses and uh, that many businesses need help with this types of biomarker insights. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where Spren kind of emerged in the story uh, from Elite HRV. So Elite HRV, had evolved beyond just heart rate variability analysis yeah. and had started, um, you know, we were analyzing lots of other types of biomarkers and other types of behavior data and things like that. And then we also had evolved in the early days, we were really adopted by like biohackers, quantified self-enthusiasts, um, sports teams, uh, research groups, things like that. And then over the years, we had evolved more into broader fitness and wellness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people who just want to get better results with less effort on their hit, on their health and fitness journey, um, we're starting to use Elite HRV. And uh, so anyways, as these types of signals came in, we decided that there was a, an opportunity to kind of uh, evolve to the next phase, which was opening up our platform for partners to then integrate this type of data into their products and services. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a big opportunity for us that we've been building and launching over the past two years. 
is um, making it where any business can now get the Spren SDK or API mm -hmm. and drop uh, biomarker, biomarker sensing technologies into their app or product and leverage these data streams and insights that we have built over the years on top of that. And a couple of things made that unlock possible. So one is we raised the venture capital originally. It was partially to develop a camera sensing technology. Mm -hmm. So we can now detect accurate biomarkers uh, like heart rate variability, heart rate, respiration, body fat percentage, uh, fat-free mass, which is correlates with uh, like lean muscle mass, uh, stuff like that, all from the camera. And we make that uh, embeddable and accessible to through our partner apps, um, primarily through Spren. And then the other piece, um, yeah, was basically uh, the partnership side of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's been a major change for us over the uh, years. Um, and part of that is in response to that signal that you were just talking about, which is that there's tons of businesses that are trying to solve different parts of this health, fitness, and wellness journey. And many of them are not coming off of 10 years of experience with biomarker uh, sensing technologies and things like that. So it's just really hard for anyone to uh, provide a meaningful you know, biomarker sensing solution on their own without years of R&D and millions of dollars of R&D that we've done over the years. So us packaging that and making it available to our partners makes it easy for them to power up their experiences and then deliver, you know, more personalized, more um, kind of granular and uh, engaging experiences to their end users. Right. So if we if we kind of uh, place yourself, uh, uh, place place um, place you guys basically in 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 kind of the competitive landscape, right? So. Um... There is, um, I, I think the SDK model is, is a very smart one. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've also um, talked with uh, a very nice uh, company, uh, a very nice founder from a, a company focused around, um, um, or the products focused around um, uh, mental health and biomarkers. And um, uh, it's also their product basically is also an SDK, which is a very smart, very smart strategy, in, in my opinion. So if we if we take, um, you know, if, if, if we take you guys and, and place you into the competitive landscape, right? So, um, I mean, obviously, there's t tons of biomarkers, um, right, that that uh, that one can measure. But uh, specifically uh, for you guys, how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? Um um, overall, and also, you know, maybe not to the niche players, but also the big ones, right? So the ones that have like so much data, right? I mean, the the Apple Health ecosystem, etc., the Google Google Health, etc. How do you see that kind of playing down um, down the road? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of like thematic areas I think where we would differentiate. One is um, when it comes to HRV, it's kind of easy because we've been uh, pioneers in the HRV space. We've been living and breathing it for a decade. And a lot of times people like, so we've partnered with over a hundred universities and research institutes over the uh, past decade on research around heart rate variability and other biomarkers and um, things like that. So when it comes to uh, biomarker data and translating that um, into kind of real world insights and guidance, uh, it would be very, you'd be very hard pressed to find anybody um, that can um, 
come close to us on the HRV front. And that experience, though, going really deep on a biomarker that's pretty complex and trying to make uh, really actionable use out of really uh, kind of specific and small measurements that we're trying to like get out of the way of the user's life, right? Mm-hmm. Like your goal in life isn't to track stuff. Your goal in life is to do life. And then tracking should be this thing that augments your exactly. life yeah. with hopefully minimal friction. And so... Um, uh, so all of that ended up allowing us to expand into other, uh, deep, but meaningful biomarkers like body composition analysis, for mm-hmm. example. And so through our partners, um, and our research partners, we've been able to develop really accurate algorithms around body composition analysis that just uses the phone camera. And, um, it's really easy to do. It's comparable to a DEXA scan, uh, which normally you would have to pay 150 plus US dollars and go make an appointment and um, you know take time out of your day to do. You can just do it from your phone uh, really easily now. Mm-hmm. And so um, that kind of deeper biomarker expertise is kind of where we like to play. And we do take into other data too, like activity steps, exercise data, sleep data, you know, all that type of stuff that's kind of, I guess you could say table stakes, Um, Mm -hmm. but we like to go deeper on these other markers and leverage kind of that uh, whole R&D and innovation expertise that we've developed over the years on that to be differentiated. And um, on top of that, we have built up a lot of trust in the industry over the years. So when people uh, realize that we've served millions of users, we've, uh, you know, got really stellar ratings uh, Mm -hmm. from end users on our experiences. Our insights have been road tested on hundreds of thousands of users. Um, And so it's just, it kind of brings that layer of credibility and then you can just embed all of that into your, into your app. Um, So it's, it's kind of a neat win, win, win scenario for us and our partners and the end users. All right. So um, let's, let's maybe talk about the, you know the the size that you guys can reach right uh, i think i think that's uh you know because if there's a big vision then you know that also kind of needs to be matched with like okay so what's kind of the outcome right what can we reach here especially once we, once we've taken on money um so that's kind of you know paint paint out the picture uh in, into the kind of near future um you know let's say down the road how how big can you guys get like uh, what's your how do you estimate that I, I I think that's a very maybe there's maybe that's a difficult question, but then again, I think I think it's still an interesting question, like uh, to to ask you as a founder on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know, I mean, I think the um, the optimist in me, which is I've learned sometimes needs to be tempered a little bit, is um, every almost every person on this planet needs help with health, fitness, or wellness in some way. And so um, to me, the big opportunity, at least for this category, is just, it's immeasurable, basically, mm-hmm. at this yeah. point. Um, but there's, uh, and it, and it's also not working very well, right? Yeah. So like the, the current solutions are just scratching the surface of what we can do to help people. And so, um, you know, those are just sort of the big kind of uh, inspirational ways of thinking about it. 
Um, in reality, kind of, you know, assuming how this all unfolds, uh, this play for us of dropping our hardware and using other people's hardware and partnering with other types of wearables, using the camera, becoming this layer of infrastructure where we can plug in and embed anywhere is really increasing our opportunity quite a bit. And that's a lot of what investors are investing in. And um, there's Elite HRV as our app has still been growing and we still love that community and we're still going to continue to grow and improve that product. But um, by partnering with other businesses who are also serving, you know, uh, tons of different use cases, we're able to better serve far more people. And so where, where you get into the tricky part of this growth in this whole space around biomarker data and data in general is that as you're delivering more personalized and more engaging experiences, it becomes difficult to like serve every use case, right? And so part of the complexity of health, wellness, and fitness is people want to do different things. They're not all like, not everybody's the same from a genetic point of view, from an environment point of view, from a goals point of view, et cetera. So for example, one of our partners we're really excited about is called Visible, Make Visible, um, is how you can find them. And um, they're serving post-viral chronic health condition, uh, people with post-viral chronic health conditions like long COVID. Mm -hmm. And so they're creating a community and a suite of insights for people with long COVID and other post-viral chronic health conditions where uh, they can really serve that audience in a very specific way that is very different than what an athlete needs, right? Yeah, and it's very, course, very interesting. I, I just checked out the website. It's, it's. I think it's a, um, you know, it's funny, uh, funny that you're raising this, but uh, I, I think this is a huge, huge one, um, because I've, I've spoken to, uh, I've spoken to a founder out of New York. Um, I'm not sure whether you know them. Um, they're called the company's called Mimey. Um, it's, um. It's very interesting, and 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 so what they're currently doing as well is um is looking at uh, a lot of long COVID uh, related things, um and and we talked with her uh, so with the founder um we we talked about um you know in general like all these weird viruses basically that then you know kind of leave uh, strays after after kind of you know they've gone by another one is like the Epstein Barr virus for example which is also like a huge thing, um. And, and and it's a very this is a very interesting company thanks thanks for mentioning that that, that one is great yeah really? yeah happily yeah i mean that's one of the things we're most excited about is so like um you know visible or make visible is how i usually refer to them um and then you know they're a great example of a company we're we're excited to partner with another one is called marius pharmaceuticals and they're uh, they just got FDA approved for oral testosterone replacement therapy, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're serving a, a different, you know, wellness-oriented use case. Um, they have a product called Base Health that's just launched um, to help people who have testosterone um, that you know wellness uh, through the uh, lens of hormone uh, balancing and and strength. And so uh, another cool use case. And then uh, we have a partner named uh, Fitbod who we're working with. Mm -hmm. And Fit Fitbod is a, it's one of the, usually one of the top fitness apps. Um, I think it's a really, really cool uh, app and platform for strength training. Yeah. Uh, 
And it's like, kind of like an AI coach. I hopefully that's not insulting to them that I kind of think of them that way, but um, it's a really cool app that really that coaches you through you through your strength training journey. Um, and has a lot of great algorithms and uh, optimizations for different body parts and things like that. So you can see like the diversity of the use yeah, cases, exactly. yeah, right? Yeah. And there's just no way that we could actually do that on our own, at least not, you know, and make a viable business. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think what what's very important is uh, what what you mentioned is that we're just scratching the surface. And I, mm-hmm. I you know, I th- I think there's so many, um, so many things um that are still um you know to be to be kind of tackled. Um, and and I think so that, that like one of the challenges that I've um spoken a lot about is is also with um. So with uh, I talked about this with a um, with a professor from Stanford uh, about about the difficulty of collecting. So each startup, you know, in the health space, kind of tackles one area mm-hmm. of health, right? So one kind of really tiny subsection of an overall ecosystem that is super complex because it's in mm-hmm. like you know each piece is kind of interacting with the other, right? So human biology is very complex. And so each startup kind of like tries to build up their, you know, their own data set, right? So mm-hmm. their own kind of um, knowledge, um, you know, section about that particular area, right? However, you know, we will only get to like really, you know, meaningful kind of overall understanding of human human biology from a digital standpoint, right? From Or from a technology standpoint, if we can kind of combine these different knowledge bases. You know, right? So these these kind of like different um, understandings from a, from a technical perspective, and so that that that's why I think you know we're still very very early on um, with, with things, right? So I mean, it's just been ten years since uh, about ten years that the Apple Watch has been on the market, and that's kind of kind of been the, been the thing that's you know really pushing this entire space and in, in, in forward. So um, that that's a very critical point that you that you mentioned that we're still very very early on um, with, with this thing. And, and as a follow-up question, what I, what I wanted to ask you is, how does that play for you guys in an international uh, kind of, or from a markets perspective, say you guys are based in the US, um, how does that uh, play for you guys in terms of growth for, you know, across the US, but also, you know, maybe beyond the US? Like how, how, how does that play into your strategy? Yeah, yeah. So about 40% of our users historically were located in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of that might have been too that most of as a small company growing, most of our marketing materials are all in English, you know, stuff like that. So um, there's uh, some friction, I guess you could say to adoption from that perspective. Um, our HRV course also was in English, um, you know, so there's some limitations uh, based on resources that we weren't able to translate it into, you know, every language. Right. We, we actually did end up translating a lot of our materials into other languages, including our app as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately for us, we see, uh, I would say, some of the biggest opportunities are international mm-hmm. um, and you have to start somewhere, right? So a yeah. lot of our, a lot of our partners are other U S based companies just because they're close and it's yeah. uh, easy for us to kind of get um, those partnerships established. But part of our mission of accessibility of all of this and making this type of data more accessible to more people is um, there are lots of people in international markets 
that also want help with this. And, um, and so, you know, accessibility from a cost perspective in some markets, like mm-hmm. you can imagine places like India or things like that, where there's, there's tons and tons of people that need help, but financially, like it's a lot harder to buy expensive wearables from, you know, uh, from the U S or Western, uh, countries. And then, um, accessibility is also in the form of like helping people translate the data to what they actually want to do. Right? Mm. Because the, the last thing you want to do is if somebody's stressed out or they have financial constraints or, you know, uh, demands of life or sport or work or whatever, the last thing you want to do is give them more homework, which is like, here, now track all this stuff and go read all these research studies so that you can figure out what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Right. And uh, so for us, uh, making those things more accessible is is automating a lot of the interpretation of the data as much as possible um, and really also helping people focus on more of what matters to them and less of like these kind of broad brush blanket um, prescriptions that a lot of, you know, like because we're scratching the surface in health, fitness and wellness, a lot of the guidance is really general. And so we're trying to get more specific or guide people towards more specific things. Interesting. So a concrete um, uh, or being a little bit more concrete, like how how does growth into international market look for you guys down the road, like in terms of number of years or I don't know, like, I mean, obviously you just, you guys just raised your, you know, uh, kind of, or not just, but I mean, you, you raised some substantial money, but obviously, you know, growth means, uh, means uh, resources. So um, how do you, how, how long do you expect to kind of like, you know, grow, um, you know, beyond the U S for example? Uh, we're already doing it. Yeah. So oh, right. um, okay. yeah, yeah. We're ready from like pretty much uh, from when we dropped our hardware and started going to camera, we already started like many of the people demanding that were in international markets. Um, and that way they wouldn't have to buy a device and ship it from San Francisco uh, they could just use the phone that they already have basically. Right. That's great. And so, um, it's, uh, so it's already happening and we're definitely keen on continuing to expand that. Amazing. Hey, um, Jason, this was, this was great. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being the show. Um, really interesting what you guys are doing and I wish you the best of luck. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me.